Welcome to the live stream, everyone. Hope everyone is doing great. Um, how have your weeks been? Uh, mine has been very productive and is about to be kicked up several notches. Um, some of you already can guess the reason why, because of our upcoming prayer strategy. Yay. <laughs> Let me see if I can post that flyer up. There it is. Awesome. And uh, we are going to be praying and seeking the Lord towards our also upcoming Immersion Teen and Young Adults Conference. Yay again! <laughs> if you have a young person you know of that can be ministered to profoundly by the Lord, please do not be afraid to send this to them in some form or fashion, whether it's sharing the link or helping them get registered. You can register them and make them come for the conference by force. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, man, who I heard a testimony once about someone that he got born again because his mom forced him to come to church or something like that. I can't remember who the person was. But while we're you know loading up to that, uh, we have underwater happening every week up until, well, I think kind of after the prayer stretch, it might be coming to the end of that, right? December 11, December 11, yeah, that's basically it. All right, so um, again, welcome everyone. Good evening, Ada. Can I increase my volume? Sure thing. Um, let's see here. I'm on my wireless go. I think. Um, hmm. Let me just do a quick check here to make sure that audio-wise we're doing all right. I'm gonna load up my handy dandy um, monitor here. And three, two, one. Okay, I think. I think I'm fine. But I'll I'll speak louder <laughs> if it helps. Um, Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening, Blessing Moses. Hope you're doing great. Good evening, Auntie Faluka. <laughs> if y'all, what's up, bro? We hung out so much this weekend, this last weekend. Uh, a day family, yay. <laughs> Good evening. Awesome, awesome. I think we're ready to start. The program we are about to kick off is not underwater, but it is called Word for Now. Hallelujah. And by the mercy and grace of God, during this time together, we will, by the mercy and grace of God, come into the word for now. Amen. Um, basically, the goal of this is looking at what's happening on a spirit, you know, from a spiritual backdrop. Okay, okay, I understand, I understand. Um, hmm. If you have headphones, Ma, that might help a whole lot. Um, let me, I think I've been, let me show my face. Hello, everyone. Everyone's doing great. Um, I will speak louder so I can be more clearly heard by the mercy and grace of God. Let me see if my microphone could go a little bit higher up. That way it picks up more of my voice. Hopefully that's better. Anyways, we're ready to get this party going, right? That's what I'm doing now. Thank you. Okay, awesome, awesome, cool. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. 
We thank you for everything that you're doing in our hearts and our minds. Thank you, Lord God, for setting us up for success. You've given us tools. You've given us blessings. You've given us so much, Lord Jesus. Best of all, Lord Jesus, you have given us heritage, Lord God. And we say thank you for this incredible inheritance we have in you, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, yes, we have so many things um, working for our good as members of the body. Amen. One of them is inheritance. And we've been looking at that now for the past few, few, I would say days, not yet weeks. I would say maybe one or two weeks now. You, you know, we were initially looking at the feasts, right? And then we climax at the feast. And then we went on to this unite where you become the dwelling place of God. And um, we looked at what that looked like. Can everyone hear me? Am I smooth like butter? Okay, I just want to make sure I saw like a connection unstable thing and my video started like buffering on. So um, where was I? Yes. So we explain, you know, to understand extra smooth. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. So um, in your in our Christian walk, you know, we had to look at, hey, this vision that God had, amen, uh, where humanity comes to the image and likeness of God, where humanity becomes a tabernacle of God. What was God's original intent? Was it that we would, you know, become these um, pillars um, from living stones, um, prophetically becoming like literal stones? Amen. Wow. Jesus Christ joined the meeting. Welcome, Jesus. I would like to be like you someday. <laughs> Welcome, Pastor Uche, also. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, so, yes, yes, yes. You know, so being a tabernacle of God um, or being the tabernacle of God, you know, what exactly does that mean? And then we discovered that, oh, the tabernacle is actually a community of people, right? There is the indwelling that each person manifests, but then there is the corporate um, um, indwelling of God that we all steward, amen? Where we all bring forth our measure of the tabernacle, amen? That we alone can bring forth. And together, we, that we all bring forth every single measure, whatever we joint supplies. And the end goal is that the tabernacle of God is with humanity, amen? And then we began to discover that, oh, wow, this heaven of God being with humanity um, is genetic, right? It, it, it has to do with our genes, right? It has to do with our bloodlines and our groups. And then we began to look at, okay, so um, we have these bloodlines and we have these genes and we have these, um, yes, basically that, um, heritage that speaks of different parts of the tabernacle of God. And at the same time, also looking at things through different ages and dispensations. So in conclusion we're, we're we're on this study to see you know what the tabernacle what the feasts when they're the fulfillment of the feasts in each age and understanding all of these things in a context of heritage hope that all that makes sense so that's what we've been on for the past few days and right now you know last time we went into a very i, I feel like it was a very well i say heavy difficult to explain subject matter just because there's so many pre-existing um, notions about the topic we're speaking of. I'm making reference to things in Genesis chapter 6 and in, things in Genesis chapter 4. And it's very difficult to explain these things, not because they're hard to, to explain, but simply because there is so much, um, I want to say misinformation, but that's um, CNN's word, right? <laughs> that's the mainstream media's word. There's so much, um, there's so many theories about these things that when these things are being said, 
the response is okay that's nice you know that's your theory if that makes sense you know and so because of that you have to take like a few extra steps to try and prove things and sometimes it ends up just being a lot of talking <laughs> which i don't like i don't think anyone does <laughs> unless you know it's really something you want to know then it's a blessing right hallelujah so um we're going to continue on that because that was part one and we are going to continue with part two right and um basically we, we were looking at um, what ended up being a war between bloodlines, amen? The bloodline of the family of Cain and the bloodline of the family of Abel. But then because Abel died, amen, Eve gave birth to another son, all right? Eve had other sons, amen, besides Cain and Abel. It's in the Bible, amen? Um, and these other, well, you know, these other sons, there was one specific one of them, okay? One of the other sons that she had, that was called Seth. And she looked at him and she knew that God gave her someone in the place of Abel that Cain slew. In other words, that gene that Abel had was found in Seth. Does that make sense? And so Eve recognized this. And then, so Seth's son was called Enos. After Enos was born, the Bible says that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. We can see this in Genesis chapter 4. From verse, um, let's start from verse 25. It's quite literally there, right? So we'll just jump in. Adam's wife again became pregnant. This is not the King James. I was like, wait a second. Again became pregnant. We have different language in the King James. And Adam knew his wife again. There we go. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she has appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. Notice how the word seed is chosen, right? Speaks of heritage. And to Seth also there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. And moving on this tangent, we explain the people like Noah, people like Lamech, you know, these specific children where there was an explosion, right? A multiplication of the intentions, you know, um, captured um, in Egypt bloodline. So you see Adam and Eve almost like um, farmers. I'm, I'm just, I'm using those words just for an illustration, not because human beings are animals, right? But simply when every child is given birth to, they were very careful to think, find out or figure out what gene is this child bringing or what part of the tabernacle is this person going to build? And that was Adam and Eve's obsession, amen, when they were outside of, the, outside of Eden, amen, trying to build back a structure through which they could go back in. And that structure is not a physical one, amen, but it is that a, there's a community of people, amen, a civilization, a culture of people. And together, okay, they will steward the presence of God, amen, as a tabernacle in a shadow. Hallelujah. And so that was the effort that you're seeing throughout the scriptures, amen. And the way the Bible captures this effort, amen, of, 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 um, of genealogies, amen, that are stewarding the seed of God, that are stewarding the image and likeness of God, that are stewarding the intentions of God, amen, the genes of God, the language there is books, amen. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Hallelujah. Whenever you get into... Um, 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 the bloodlines, amen. When, when, a, when a, a spirit wants to give expression through a family tree, the first thing you're going to see, amen, is the introduction of a book, testimonies, testaments, amen. And that's because um, the book of the testaments, amen, is what is meant to be downloaded into that generation and given expression through them, amen. 
you would see that's a book in the book that's a very famous book in the Bible called the book of life. Hallelujah. That is the book of the generations of God. Amen. People who, um, whose names are found in there are children of God. Hallelujah. And so your when you give your life to Jesus, amen, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. And if for any reason whatsoever, hallelujah, you, um, you blaspheme or profane, um, you count the blood of Jesus Christ as a profane thing, and um, you blaspheme or insult the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, you are basically um, eroding the Christ-like nature that you have on the inside of yourself. And the end goal of that is a blotting out of, the, of your name. Not because God is going to do that, but because the contents of the book don't change, but you can. So when you gave life to Jesus, there was some kind of alignment between yourself and things in this book of life. But then when you bless him against the Holy Spirit, you're intentionally erasing from yourself that thing that is aligned with this book. So because of that, there is no record of you in here. Does that make sense? Book of life doesn't change. We are the ones who change, right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So this is the book of generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Amen. And um, it's very important that we understand that books are written for a reason. Amen. In the natural, um, when we give expressions to books in the natural is for a reason. Let's take a look real quick at Deuteronomy chapter 39 from verse um, 31 from verse 19. Write ye this song for you and teach it to the children of Israel put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. So you see again, the context of generations, amen? The context, the reason for books of, of generations, amen? Books of genealogies, amen, is for future generations. So record keeping, right? Um, the reason why these things are written is, as, is for witnesses for future generations. Hallelujah. Now, um, there's an emphasis I want to bring here because not only do books capture, amen, the genealogies, right, the expressions of genealogies, but they also capture, amen, potential conflicts between bloodlines, amen. And I'll give you a few examples of this in a way that you can, we can all understand. You know, when, um, let's just, I guess we can just look at this, Genesis chapter 15, amen. So the Bible says, after these things, this is after Melchizedek appeared to Abraham, right? And then, um, what's his name? Levi paid tithes in the loins of Abraham. God said, fear not, I am your shield and your seeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord, all you give me, seeing I go childless. And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, behold, to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word Lord came to him saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy loins shall be thine heir. Please notice that the person that came was the word of the Lord. Why am I saying this? Amen. I'm pointing out the word of the Lord because words are found in books, right? Hallelujah. So basically what's happening here is that a portion of the book of life, amen, was manifested to Abram, amen. That word eventually became flesh as Jesus Christ, amen. But the word of the Lord is a, a, you're going to see consistently people experiencing pages from what is called the scripture of truth, amen. Hallelujah. The intentions of God for humanity are captured in that book, amen. The fullness of his goals, his desires, his dreams, everything, amen. You can call it the will of the Lord finding expression, but we're going to use language in scripture, which is the will of the Lord coming to Abraham, amen. Now, why am I hammering it this way? Amen. Because in this portion of scripture, um, you're going to see some things that are very interesting because in this book, along with, um, um, wow, Jesus Christ looks like, um, <laughs> looks like Michael. <laughs> that makes perfect sense, right? The name Michael means like Christ. <laughs> also, welcome, Ransodami. Welcome, Pastor Uche. I always say Pastor Uche, welcome. Welcome, Renitha. Um, welcome, Andrew. 
oh man, your video is going to be so good. I'm working on it right now. I'm adding some special effects and it looks a lot more promising than I initially thought. So don't be surprised if you see yourself um, online tomorrow in the afternoon or something. Okay, so um, yes, in this book is captured um, potential threats to the genealogy because God's genes are endless, amen? The Bible says that um, the word that comes out of his mouth shall not return to him void. In other words, it's going to fulfill the objective, the reason why it was sent out. So every single page from this book, not one jot or tittle, amen, can be undone. Basically what the Bible is saying here is that this book has on the inside of it as well, contingencies, amen? Contingencies to ensure that if there is any direct assault against those members, members of this book, amen, it by itself already has provision, amen, to deal with that. We see this in the book of Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel was praying for um, Israel. He discovered, sorry, Daniel chapter 9. Um, Daniel discovered that the 21 days necessary for Israel to return to Jerusalem had expired. And he was wondering how come um, we haven't started heading back because the days had been fulfilled according to the prophecy of, of Jeremiah the prophet. Amen. And so you see, um, what's his name? You see um, Daniel beginning to intercede and then later on an angel appears and then the next chapter he continues with his fast and he's seeking with his fast and he's seeking the Lord an angel comes to reveal to him what is written in the scripture of truth amen now what why am I hammering all these things because of what we're about to read right now in Genesis chapter 15 hallelujah so let's let's keep it going so Genesis 15 it says here um, you know God explains to him that um, Abram is going to have from his loins an heir right and God brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens, count the stars. If you count them, you'll see it shall be like this. And Abraham believed God and he counted it to him for righteousness. Amen. So here we have a liberation of Abraham's, Abraham's seed, right? He said unto him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Now, I personally believe that the land that was referenced here was not the physical land per se alone. But because the Bible says God brought him forth outdoors, amen, I personally believe outdoors in this portion of scripture is not outside of his tent, but I personally believe that this was an outer space. And why am I saying that? Because the Bible says, and the Lord brought him forth outdoors and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if, thee, if thou be able to number them. Now, I don't believe also that this is outer space as in just space where the stars are, amen. I believe this, this, this is the heavenlies, amen, because it says, look towards heaven. In other words, look into the spiritual realm, right? So the Lord brought him somewhere and helped him to see into the heavenlies, amen. And what did he see? Stars. I don't believe those stars were twinkle, twinkle, little stars. I personally believe that those stars were angels, hallelujah, stars of God, amen. And so in that place, the Lord said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the order of Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. There's also pre, there's verses that suggest this as well. In the prior chapter, when Melchizedek met Abraham, he said to him, blessed is Abraham of the most high God. Amen. Possessor of the heavens and the earth. Amen. The reason for saying that is because Abraham, by virtue of his walk with God, came into a great degree. Amen. Of ownership. He had in him. The purpose of God was what Melchizedek spoke forth, amen, that Abraham is meant to be the possessor of the heavens and the earth. And so we're seeing it here, right? God said, I brought you to this land to inherit it. Hallelujah. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said to him, basically offer this sacrifice, amen. And Abraham fought against these things. Um, the Bible says in verse 10, the birds divided he not, sorry, verse 11, when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And the sun was going down a deep sleep, fell upon Abraham. 
I wonder, you know, this is a picture of, so basically in verse 12, you're seeing something that would, you know, happened to Adam in prior verses of the book of Genesis. Um, Adam fell into a deep sleep and then Eve came. Abraham falls into a deep sleep and look at what comes. Okay, lo, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall ser serve them. So basically the Lord is now showing him not just the woman, like in um, Adam's um, um, scenario, the woman that would help bring forth his generations. God showed Abraham the rest of the, gen like the generations themselves. Does that make sense? He showed him the future, the future ages, future dispensations. Amen. Basically further pages down. Amen. And he made sure he pointed out something that was very interesting. All right. The period of slavery, amen, the vision we're going to go through. It says here that is not theirs and they shall serve them and they shall afflict them for 400 years. Amen. Now, the reason why God is saying this is because all of this was actually captured. Amen. It's all captured by the Lord. And the Lord was making Abraham privy to all of this. Amen. Basically, what was happening here is that the conflicts to destroy the seed of God. Amen. The conflicts. Amen. To frustrate the building of the tabernacle of God. The book of life. Amen. That record. Amen. That, that um, spiritual um, token. I'm going to call it that. Amen. Whatever it is. <laughs> the life of God. Amen. That transcript the life of God, hallelujah, of the generations of God, amen. It has on the inside of it all the contingencies necessary to preserve the seed of God upon the earth to ensure that God's purposes are fulfilled. I hope everyone got that. And you're going to see from the book of Genesis from here onwards, warfare, amen, against the seed of God. Now, um, I'm going to show very quickly a few um, snapshots, amen, because the very next chapter Abraham goes into Rahab, right? Hagar, sorry, not Rahab. Hagar, my bad. <laughs> Amen. And then Ishmael is brought forth, which was not God's plan. Then not too long after that, in, you know, circumcision comes forward, and there's a conflict between Abraham, between um, Abraham's wife um, Sarah, and between um, um, Hagar, which ends up with Ishmael having to leave. Amen. And from there, you find Isaac. The wells being blocked, the famines, the different things, amen. In each of these generations, there were all of these obstacles to frustrate the development of the seed of God, amen. All of these things were wars against the seed, amen. Hope everyone understands. There is a place I'm going to with everything I am saying, amen. Because what you're going to find throughout the book of Genesis is a lot of warfare to make sure that that which is captured in the book of life doesn't find expression. Amen. In other words, that's heritage. Amen. It is meant to be unfolded. Amen. To bring forth the building of the tabernacle of God. There is a lot of warfare to make sure it doesn't come to pass. The warfare, um, we mentioned a few things, Ishmael being born, the conflict between Ish, um, Ishmael and Isaac. Amen. Hallelujah. Isaac himself becoming an idol. Amen. Potentially becoming an idol in Abraham's heart. But Abraham overcame that when he sacrificed him or when he obeyed the Lord's instructions. Right. Amen. And then with Isaac, and then with Jacob, amen. Now, I want to zoom out. Okay, cool. we zoomed out with Isaac and Jacob, and I want to zoom back into a very interesting story in the book of Genesis chapter 38. Now, this is a very weird story in the Bible. Okay, um, wow. This is a very interesting portion of scripture. I just jumped in at the weirdest place. Okay, it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and returned unto a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. 
And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he, and he took her and went in unto her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bore a son, and his name was called Onan, and she yet again conceived and bore a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Shezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose, whose name was Tamar. Now, the reason why I'm pulling all these things out here, amen, is because, amen, I want to show us something very interesting in this, this portion of the scriptures, amen? In this story here, amen, you're seeing Judah, who is eventually going to be called, who's eventually going to receive the blessing. So you had Abraham receive the blessing, Isaac successfully transferred, then over to Jacob, amen? Now it's supposed to go from Jacob to his firstborn, who should have been Reuben, but instead of getting Reuben getting the firstborn, he gets a curse. Remember that story? Um, when, um, what's his name? When Moses, what's his name? Moses had to um, decree a, basically undo the curse that Jacob gave, um, made, sorry, concerning um, Reuben, which is that um, um, unstable as waters, he will not prosper. Horrific curse that was released there, amen. Um, but instead, Jacob gave a blessing, like Reuben will live and not die, and his men shall not be few in number, amen. And um, anyways, that all said, um, Judah was born, Please, is this is this a lot of information? Is that is are people following what I'm saying? I feel like I'm talking a lot, and I'm saying all these things that I don't know how familiar people are with these portions of scripture. Amen. If you've been in a cave, you kind of should be to some degree. I hope. Amen. Maybe, maybe not. The Lord knows. No responses. We we'll just keep it going. Amen. <laughs> okay, thumbs up there. Okay, cool, awesome. Thank you, Ma. That's encouraging. It is really encouraging when I can tell that you're following. Amen. That way I feel like I'm not talking to myself. Maybe I, I'll pick something, I'll pick something that maybe someone is not getting something. And that's when I begin to ask, can anyone hear me? Amen. So um, you would see that um, Judah was the one that was next in line because Simeon, this is new to me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So um, what's happening here is I'm explaining um, basically um, the fact that Jacob actually cursed Reuben because Reuben it's a very sad story. So in Jacob's house, Jacob loved Rachel, amen, and he did not love Leah, okay? Quick summary of the story. And because of that, um, um, he sought after Rachel and wanted to marry her. But Jacob's, the word Jacob speak of um, a deceiver, a trick, a swindler, scammer, 419er. And basically, um, um, his 419 genes were not unique to him. It was actually something that was in Abraham's bloodline. If you check Abraham, his brother um, Laban, and their children, they were all liars. If you check the scriptures, you can tell that they all had a gift at lying. It got passed on from Abraham to Isaac, and it got multiplied in Jacob. But poor Jacob did not realize that the little line that he was doing was small compared to his uncle. His uncle was a boss. In fact, not only was his uncle a boss, <laughs> his uncle um basically deceived him into marrying his older daughter first because he realized that there was no other person that the safest person to marry his older daughter was was jacob and so he tricked him into marrying her by getting him drunk on his wedding day and then giving him the older daughter into the younger one and the reason why he did that was because um usually they have a veil on their face and was a kingpin of trickery, trickery. Yes, yeah. auntie has the story. She has it down. <laughs> and so what ends up happening is that Jacob wakes up the next morning. Um, he has consummated the marriage according to Jewish culture. That's something that they do in the culture is to celebrate the beauty of virginity. 
only to discover that the person that he just consummated the marriage with was not the woman that he asked this man for. So out of rage, he came to him and the guy said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's too late, of course. That's what the contract has been signed. Oh, my bad. And then the letters, you know, in the, in the air flying to whoever. Then he apologizes. What a great guy. So um, because of that, um, um, there was this war between, um, later on, sorry, he then pledges to then serve. The reason why it's, it's kind of heartbreaking is not just because he wanted to marry Rachel, but because he actually promised that he was going to serve his father-in-law for seven years so that he can marry this woman. So he really loved her. So he, the seven years passed by so quickly, and yet this guy deceived him, even though he, it's kind of crazy. So anyways, and there's a reason why he had to work for him, because he had no money, because <laughs> he ran away from his dad's house. So basically, um, when this happened, um, his father-in-law agreed, okay, you can marry Rachel as well, because back in that time, that was customary. And he said to him, you can do that, but you have to work for me another seven years. <laughs> what, a, what a kingpin, right? Like Auntie said. Yes, it, it's read out loud. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It, the contract is read out loud, but who exactly he wants to marry is not written there per se. It's the agreement between both of them. Does that make sense? It's that I will present, my, I'll present this, this person is going to present that. That's basically what's happening. Now, who you hand it to is the one that's going to receive the marriage contract. Does that make sense? And it... If, if it's about reading things out loud, trust me, Laban is, has, has a lot more tricks up his sleeves than being beaten out by a, an out, you know, read out loud pronouncement. <laughs> trust me, I know what I'm saying. <laughs> he keeps on deceiving um, Jacob continually. What's happening is that while he keeps on deceiving Jacob, Jacob is being, um, basically the Lord is beating out deception out of him and he's becoming weaker. So is, the worst thing in life is when your uncle, who's a bigger swindler than you are, amen, is actively swindling you and then god is refining you and and redeeming you from swindling and you're watching your uncle deceive you <laughs> and you can't retaliate amen because you're in the spirit school of the spirit so that's what's happening to jacob amen and so um, while all this was going on um he kept on serving for the next um, seven years while that was happening he married rachel not too long afterwards but then while he was still serving his father-in-law his father-in-law changed his wages several times. I can't remember how many times exactly, but so many times. And it got so bad. And Jacob was just watching this. And at that time, he was having all these encounters with God and different things. And so because of that, he, you know, he was denying that nature to be deceiving and deceptive because after marrying um, Leah, it hit him that, man, I just got, I got served. <laughs> Hallelujah. So basically what then ends up happening is because, um, because uh, what's his name, got served, um he um um yes he submits to that instruction so he's this is instruction of the holy spirit the end goal of this is that you have a home with two wives where one person is loved and the other person is not now very interestingly enough because leah was not loved the bible says the lord opened up her womb you're going to discover that in this family line along with lying there was also barrenness in this in this bloodline. You see it with all of the women. It's a very consistent thing. It was with Abraham's wife. It was with Isaac's wife. It was with Jacob's wives. But then what happened was that when the law saw that Leah was hated, then what happened? He opened up the womb. So basically, the way the Lord designed this thing was that there was um, everyone's walk with God, I believe, to some degree or whatever, would eventually open up their wombs when they um, allow the spirits of God to work or deal with them. Amen. So um, the dealing of Leah was learning to be in this home where she wasn't loved, okay? Um, that doesn't mean that all suffering is God dealing with you, 
But through that dealing, there was, in, it was something that was worked on the inside of her. And the Lord saw that and used that to help her open up her womb. And when that happened, she began to have children. Her first son was Reuben, amen, which is like, I think she said, the Lord has seen me in all of my suffering, amen. Now, Reuben was her first son. She had many other children after that. But what you keep on seeing throughout the scripture is that these children were then being used by, um, by Leah to basically um, play games with their husband. And I mean sexual games. You see it in the scriptures. Pastor Chu is the one that taught this during one of our conferences where he explained that when um, Rachel was not having any children, she brought her maid and then Jacob had children through her according to their culture. And eventually there was this kind of like war between these two siblings in Jacob's house. And the war was basically who gets to sleep with our husband, our husband and give him more children because that was a great prize of every marriage back then. And I think it still generally is right now, right? And so because of that, um, Reuben was kind of caught up as the oldest young boy. He was caught up in all of these things and getting to witness kind of like this um, horrible picture of marriage, horrible picture of sexuality where um, mandrakes, you know, aphrodisiacs are being used to seduce the husband to, you know, do different things and wine is being used and all those things. And he got to see all those things. Because of that, Reuben grew up with a promiscuity issue, basically. And um, he ended up sleeping with one of his dad's um, concubines, which is an abomination in Israel. Because of that, he curses upon his head. So that's what I wanted to say. And as the firstborn, that is the worst thing you can do. So that's what happened with Reuben, amen? But what happened was that uh, Moses later on liberated that curse from off of him. Hallelujah. Now, because Reuben was gone, the next person in line was Simeon, right? Sorry, yes, was Simeon, right? Because uh, let me make sure I'm saying the right thing. The second son was Simeon. She conceived again a bear son and said, because the Lord has heard. Yes, yeah, so the Lord saw with Reuben, then heard with Simeon, right? That's right. Reuben first, Simeon second. That's correct. Okay. And after Simeon came Levi. Amen. Now, when the, those two young boys came forth, because Reuben was dis, dis, um, disqualified, the next person was Simeon. Amen. But here comes the problem. Simeon and Levi, all right, um, they had a sister called Dinah, okay? And then some guy in the community um, basically raped her. And that was an abomination in Israel. And they were like, this is an abomination. Like, no one should ever do this, not to a, not to a Jew, not to a, to a Hebrew. And they said that because these are people that were consecrated by God and the fear of God was upon them. That is the truth. You know what they ended up doing? Um, they ended up um, bringing both families together, the family of Jacob and the family of the guy that, um, that raped Tamar, um, not Tamar, raped Dinah. Um, the reason why um, the guy raped her was because he generally loved the girl, but he's a heathen and in heathen cultures, that's what they do. But when he discovered that it was a taboo in, in Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture, he cried, he repented. He said, I'm so sorry, please, I want to do this right. So he wanted to marry Dinah. And so the wedding was being set up and everything. Who's enjoying my Tales by Moonlight here from, from the Old Testament? Anyone? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> if you're <says> I. <laughs> Hallelujah. So when... <laughs> Hallelujah. So when... If you're raising his hand to you. I do as well. So when... Um, this, this could be like on Showmax, right? What is that channel um, where they show all these? You should not have done that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Preach, Pastor. <laughs> hallelujah 
So um, basically, um, when the marriage was being set up, there was an agreement with Telemundo. Thank you. Yes, Telemundo. Yes. Thank you so much, Antikichi. <laughs> Hallelujah. So um, basically, when the two of them, when I'm sorry, when the two families came together and it was agreed upon that they were going to get married, um, Simon and Levi said something. Oh, but wait, before they get married, it is actually an abomination for us to be with anyone that's not circumcised. Everyone should be under the covenant of Israel. So everyone here should be circumcised before the marriage. And they agreed. That's how committed this guy was. He was an honorable man. When well, I say honorable, he made a mistake, yes, but it's from a heathen culture. You get the idea. So uh, what happened was they all got circumcised. Now, the day after you get circumcised is the worst day of your life. You basically, as a guy, cannot move. Trickery again, right? <laughs> Trickery again. <laughs> Auntie, that's so true. It's so true. It continued from Jacob into his children. Oh, my God. I never even noticed that. Good catch. Good catch. Trickery again. <laughs> This should be, why are there no TV shows on this? Well, great TV shows, I won't redeem anyone. Anyway, <laughs> so what happens is, um, um, Simeon and Levi, they're like, everyone should get circumcised. And they do. The day after they get circumcised, every man in that city, that was actually that place that the person, the young man that um, slept with um, Dinar was actually a prince, son of a king. That's why he was a nobleman. He was someone of honor and respect. And it wasn't just, they were heathens, yeah, but they weren't like, they weren't, they had substance. When I say substance, I mean they had character. You see people like Abimelech, people that were honorable, kings that were honorable. They weren't believers. They didn't believe in Yahweh, but they were honorable people. Sin had not degraded them to become, becoming worthless men, um, sons of Belial, the Bible would say. So they had honor. So they went through, they got circumcised. Imagine you're not even the person that's getting married. You went and cut off the foreskin of, of, of your, anyway. So they got circumcised as grown adults. While they were weak, Simeon and Levi took swords and they slaughtered everyone in that, in that camp, killed off the entire bloodline. When Jacob heard this, he was furious. You know the reason why? Because that place that Jacob was living in at that point in time, he was not the owner of that piece of land yet. It was his by inheritance, spiritual inheritance, but he hadn't come into ownership of that place yet. That's one. Two, not only did he not come into ownership yet, he was surrounded by other heathens who were much more powerful than he was. At that point in time, he wasn't like his grandpa Abraham that was wealthy, that had a ton of money. No, 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 no. Jacob was actually building up his wealth at this point in time. Amen. He wasn't yet the billionaire that, that Abraham was or that Isaac was. I hope there's context here. In other words, if someone comes here and raids, Basically, he told them, do you want me to die here? I have no one to protect me. What is wrong with you people? Can you not tell people are watching what we're doing? So basically what ends up happening is that um, because of that, um, Jacob is so furious, he rejects both Simeon and Levi and refuses that they would get the blessing. So the next son after Simeon and Levi is Judah. And so now we zoom in <laughs> into this part of the story, right? So let's jump on in, y'all. <laughs> Er, Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sights of God, and the Lord slew him. Okay, I jumped way too heavy here. So basically, everything I just said now was to get us to um, Judah being the one that the seed was meant to be, the blessing was meant to be resting on, right? Amen? The one that should be the firstborn. Hallelujah. So Judah was the one that was next in line because Reuben, Simeon, and Levi both made mistakes that messed them up completely in the eyes of Jacob. Amen? There's something about Old Testament saints. If you tick them off and they say anything about you, 
<laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> it's only God that can save you. I'm not even joking. Only God that can save you because the blessing is resting on them. And whether they do good or bad, amen, you find there's a lot of power that is being thrown around with these guys' decisions. So you don't want to mess with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're very humble people, but if they open up their mouths to talk. So what ends up happening, hallelujah, is that um, Judah is the one that's the promised one, right? And so the Bible explains here that Judah found the lady he wanted to get married to, right? In a specific land. This was in, she was from Adullam. Oh, look at that. An Adullamite. Cave Adullam. Cave Adullam, ladies, where you at? Oh, this. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, so I'm an Adullamite. Amen. Um, and he marries her, all right? And he gives birth to several children, amen? All of these children that he gives birth to, amen? They're all supposed to be carriers of the gene, successive carriers of the gene of the blessing from Judah, amen? But here's something that's really sad, okay? The first son of Judah dies. The Bible says here, uh, oh, I jumped, sorry, my bad. Oh, come on, there we go. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So this time around, the wicked, the one that is, hallelujah, but this, this one is not like, like a mistake was made here. This one was, this person was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and because of that, this guy died. Amen? So basically, um, all right, let's keep this going, okay? So Ur dies. After Ur dies, look at what happens, okay? Judah said to Onan, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Now, this, um, what's about to happen here is part of the Jewish culture where if someone's brother dies without having an heir, by Jewish law, this is the way that God protects the seed, amen? By Jewish law, there was provision for your brother, someone that was next of kin who can best carry that gene that was lost on the earth to bring forth that. A good picture of this is like with Abel and with Seth, right? What did, what did um, Eve say? God has raised up, right? Giving me another son um, in the place of Abel that Cain slew, amen? So your brother, your next of kin is the one that can best you know, bring forth seed in your place or in your stead. And that's what happened here. So Judah told him, this is, this is actually by the law. And the reason for this is because um, they were, first of all, they were not, um, these guys were not, um, the word is actually kinsman redeemer, but these guys also were not heathen. So yes, they, you can see that there was sexuality and impurity and different things that were happening here, but there was a way, I just want to, I want to give like, I want to give context here. These people were not like, um, whoremongers per se. They would have low seasons. We're going to see one of them here in this portion of scripture. Amen. But please understand what's happening here. So let's keep this going. Okay. Going on to thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife and he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. The thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he slew him also. Can you see the deception here as well? This is the weirdest thing ever. Basically, he just slept with his brother's wife and did not, did not redeem his brother. In other words, he tried to use the scriptures the law to do something, but ended up just, it's, it's horrible what just happened. So here you're seeing, this is like, does K-pop have any, anything on this story, by the way? <laughs> Hallelujah, Korean, Korean drama, sorry, not K-pop, Korean drama. <laughs> so um, the thing which he did displease the Lord, therefore he slew him also. So now you might say here, hi, man, these children of, of Abraham, they're really, really bad though. You can say all you want about how bad they are. These people are carrying the seed. 
they are carrying the Messiah. Is everyone listening? And what's happening here is that Satan is actually waging warfare on this bloodline. Can everyone see this? What's how is Satan waging warfare? By making them disobey God, by making them rebel again, by making them sin against God, and to the end that they died. You see this with Reuben when he was cursed, not physically died, but basically there was no blessing upon him or firstborn upon him. You see this with Simeon and Levi. Then when he finally came to Judah, the one that Jesus Christ eventually sprang from, all right, Judah himself was not really someone that had those kind of struggles per se. But what do you see here? His children, right? Satan said, if I can't get Judah, who am I going to get? His children. I'm going to cut off all of his children. So what began to happen? Judah's sons started dying one by one by one. Is anyone seeing the picture? They weren't just dying um, um, like immediately per se, but they were all dying for strange reasons. But when Moses was writing on the scripture, he explained the reason why they died was because of their sin against God. Is everyone seeing this? They disobeyed God and which of sin is death. Okay. The thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he also then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain in a widow at thy father's house unto Shelah, my son, is grown. For he said, lest perhaps he die also as his brethren did. Did you see this? So he would have said, let him also go into this lady as well. But he said that, wait, this is, this is weird because this boy is too young and we don't want to do... The Kismet Redeemer thing was done in a specific context. It wasn't done for, for pleasure's sake. Does that, does that make sense? This is not like people sleeping around. No, no, there's a reason for this ritual, amen? It's to preserve the seed of your brother and it is done in the sights of God. I hope there's context for what's happening here. The whole point here is, Lord, deliver to us the likeness of my brother who is gone. I hope everyone sees the picture here. So that was the end goal. But then Judah understand the parameters of this ritual and knew Mm, we can't do this until he is grown up. He has to go through some training first, some dealings first, before he can bring forth seed on behalf of his brothers. Amen? What you then um, keep on seeing after that is, um, auntie, 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 okay, you're going to love this. <laughs> Eventually, what happens is that Judah, um, basically, he's, he goes to a whorehouse, okay? Sleeps with someone, ends up sleeping with, it's a weirdest story in the Bible. Not the weirdest, one of the weirdest ones. Sleeping with the lady that was his son's wife. And he's the one that redeems the seed. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. With Tamar, yes. And the end goal of that is that the, the thing is redeemed. Basically, that is how the redemption happened. Are you seeing how messy Jesus is? She knew what she was. Amen. Basically, I just see the Lord like using wisdom here. Like Satan wants to wage warfare. I have captured the warfare here. And I already have contingency set up. And despite all the warfare against the seed, my word will not return unto me void. Hallelujah. So I'm just going to show you here that if you're dealing with stuff, amen, that does not automatically, automatically um, disqualify you, amen, from bringing forth Christ from the inside of you. You do have to make sure, though, that those things you're dealing with, they are dealt with. Oh, what I'm saying is, is making sense. Amen. So at the end of the day, amen, Judah goes into... This young lady, Tamar, and then what now happens? The Bible says, let me jump real quick down past all this stuff. Um, it came to pass when she travailed, that one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore, his name is called Perez, that is breach. 
And afterward, he came out to his brother who had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zira. Now, <laughs> this is a funny story. You know why? Basically, the deception that was in underlying that was in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, amen, and even Jacob's children had also entered into Judah's seed. It was so concentrated that from the birth, from inside of the womb, the deception was already happening. <laughs> is everyone listening? What's the deception? All right. Someone is on his way out of the womb. Amen. Then this guy slaps him. I said, I'm the one that's first, Joe. What kind of rubbish is that? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. He says, Kai. Yes, exactly. Who loved the Tales by Moonlight today? Tales by Moonlight. Amen. Word for now. <laughs> Tales for now. Hallelujah. Amen. Why am I showing us all of these things? Amen. In the scriptures, amen, you're actually meant to be seeing something. The warfare of the bloodline of God. The, the warfare of the bloodline of the seed of Abraham. As you have a question or you're, you're saying, you're acknowledging, if you have a question, can you just type it out? Hallelujah. I hope everyone is seeing this. Now, in the scriptures, there's actually a place where these things are tabulated, amen, in the scripture of truth. And that is called the book of the wars of God. So in the book of life, you have the book of the genealogies, yes, but in the warfare that the genealogies um, wage, okay, acknowledging, sorry, awesome. The warfare the genealogies face against other bloodlines is called the book of the wars of God. And you're going to find this, hallelujah, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, from verse 14. Hallelujah. So let's take a look at what I can see. The Bible says, um, maybe I should start from verse 13 for context. Uh, eh. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> let's start from verse 14. I think that's better. Let me see if I can give some context here that would really help. Looking at Numbers chapter 21. So, um, um, this is after, so basically what's happening here, uh, hallelujah. Okay. So let me give some context here. Okay. Um, Yes. So remember when Israel came out of Israel? Remember when Israel came out of Egypt? Amen. And then there was that war that they fought, that Joshua was on the ground as a captain, and then Moses' hands were raised. Anyone remember that war? Amen. Remember that fight? That fight was not just any kind of fight. Amen. The purpose of that fight was to, ex that was actually Satan again, just as he stepped in to the bloodlines of, of Jacob. Amen. As he stepped in, I want you to see that the warfare, yes, Malachi, yes, okay? The warfare, hallelujah, of bringing forth the seed of God, amen? Hallelujah, was actually a very delicate one. There was this tapestry that ran from Genesis all the way to the book of Malachi, to, to the gospel, basically, amen? Where God very carefully weaved out, amen, this path, amen, through which the Christ would be born according to the flesh. It was a very delicate one, hallelujah. It was not a, a uh, whatchamacallit, it was not a, um, a, a, a funny story. The wars I mentioned just now, the one that described the Tales by Moonlight Wars, amen. And there was that one by the Amalekites, right? When, when, when Israel came straight out of, the, out of um, 
out of out of Egypt. Amen. There were other wars that were fought. Some of them by Balak, some of them by Balaam. Amen. And what we're seeing is that God wanted all of these things tabulated. And for this reason, we have this portion of scripture here. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, what he did in the Red Sea, that's against this dude, against um, Pharaoh, and in the brooks of Arnon, and at the stream of the brooks that goes down to the dwelling of Ar, and lies upon the border of Moab. Hallelujah. Immediately after this, there was a war against Sihon, Og, and this dude, Balak. Amen. That takes place. What's happening here? The bloodline of God is about to wage warfare against other bloodlines. Is everyone listening? I hope everyone is seeing the picture here. Heritage is waging warfare against heritage. It wasn't just the descendants of Cain and descendants of Seth. I'm trying to show you here that that narrative I described in the, um, on Monday was not unique to Genesis chapters 4, 5, and 6. Amen. This thing actually runs all the way down to the end of the ages. You're going to see bloodlines at war with each other. Now, I'm going to highlight one specific one. Amen. One specific um, bloodline. Amen. Um, one specific. Hallelujah. One specific bloodline. One specific war. Hallelujah. And we're going to start off um, with um, this dude. What's his name? Um, Saul. Not Saul that became Paul, but Saul that was um, the first king of Israel. Everyone remember that guy? Amen. The one that it seemed like God hated so badly. If you read the Bible tonight, you think that God hated this guy. Why is life so unfair to Saul? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Saul was a man from the house of Kish. Hallelujah. He was a descendant of Benjamin. This is very important. And someone have that in the, in, the, in the chat thing or whatever, that Saul was a descendant of Benjamin from the tribe of Benjamin of the house of Kish. Amen. In fact, let me see if I can specify the exact bloodline. Hallelujah. From 1 Samuel. Man, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphiath, a Benjamite, a mighty man of war. This is 1 Samuel chapter 9 from verse 1. And he had a son whose name was Saul. Let me just read that so we can all see it, okay? So it was a descendant of Benjamin from the house of Kish. Not Kish, Kish. Thank you, thank you, auntie. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So, um, yes, Zeror, his son's name was Saul, a choice, a young man, and a goodly, and there was not among children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Now, someone's goodliness, according to the scripture, is not how God sees them. Oh, your goodliness is that, Kai, this guy is a good-looking guy. Oh. That's what goodliness means here, amen? It's not Holy Ghost telling you how someone is on the inside. I know this because of David's brothers, amen? They were very goodly, <laughs> but God rejected them. Amen. So this is who King Saul is. Amen. A Benjamite. Amen. From the house of Kish. Basically, he was Kish's firstborn son. Amen. Now, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, the Lord sent me to anoint you to be king over his people, over Israel. Therefore, hearken to the voice of the words of the Lord. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. Amen. How he lay in wait for him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, please look at this. Okay. Something happened when Israel came up out of Egypt. This guy, the Amalekites, they came and they wanted to attack Israel. Amen. And so what's happening here, you see that that war of the bloodlines, it wasn't just that Satan was trying to fight God's bloodline. <clears throat> God wants to extinguish Amal Am Amalek on the face of the earth. You know the reason why? Because of what they tried doing. Anyone that is trying to kill God's genes, God's heritage, amen, 
is actually an enemy of God. It's Satan. Amen. And God wants to obliterate that thing on the face of the earth. I know exactly what I'm saying. Amen. But that thing wants to fight the redemption of humanity. Amen. So, thus says the Lord of hosts, I remember what, what Amalek did to Israel, that means the book of the wars of God was open. Whenever God remembers something, it means the book of the covenant, the book of the scripture of truth, the book of life has been opened. How he lay in wait on him, for him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. Okay, LWC faculty meeting. Understood, understood. No worries, Ma. Blessings. Go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Amen. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling. Hmm. Infants and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So this is how particular the Lord is about judging this bloodline of Agag. God is saying, extinguish everyone. Is everyone listening? God doesn't want to, no stories. Clear out this bloodline. This bloodline, as long as it exists, it is going to keep on what? Trying to kill Christ. This is a place where you see the Bible say things like, no offering can be offered or can be used to atone for your sin. Does that make sense? That's where... The, the Amalekites got to, amen? And we all know the story, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. God told him to destroy everything, man, women, and children. But look at what happens here. The Bible says, <laughs> kill everything, oh, cattle, man, women, and children. Look at, what, look at what Saul did. He took Ahag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. God said, kill him. And also destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and people spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep. And of the oxen and the fatting of the lambs and everything. And we all know this story, right? This is when, what happened? This is when, um, 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 what's his name? Um, Samuel gave that word when he says, there'll be no better sacrifice and to hearken on the fat of rams, amen. And Samson basically cut Agag to pieces in the presence of God. Now, let's just look at this here, okay? Because I think this is very, very important. Um, Let's start from verse 32. So this is when Samuel is rebuking Saul, okay? The Benjamite, the son of Kish. Then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him charily, and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. So what's happening here? Agag is feeling that they're about to celebrate before their God, and they want to take him as a prisoner of war, basically. And because he's a king, he's going to be treated with some kind of noble, no, no, nobility, I guess. Samuel said, as thy sword has made women childless. I want you to see what, 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 what is Samuel going for here? As your sword has made what? Women childless. In other words, Amalek is interested in truncating bloodlines. Can everyone see this? I hope everyone can see this. Samuel did what? He cut Agag in pieces before the Lord God in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of, of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Saul, Samuel mourned for Saul. Hallelujah. Now, I'm about to show you that this warfare against the Amalekites and the house of Kish is not over yet. The book of the wars of the Lord were open in a military context. Hallelujah. And when it was open in a military context, the house of Kish failed. Benjamin failed to deal with the blow that was meant to come to the Amalekites. Do you know what happened that's very interesting? King Agag, amen, because Saul didn't kill him, amen, when he should have, but instead took him as a prisoner, he slept with someone. 
Amen. He slept with a what, concubine, a palace concubine, and she became pregnant with child. This is in what is it now? Beautiful. Auntie Auntie's got the got the picture here. Amen. And what ended up happening was that this young um um this woman ran away pregnant, amen, from the sword, amen, with Agag's child, and she ran away and went back into Amalek. And there the young boy was raised up, and the bloodline, amen, of the Amalekites was preserved because of Saul's disobedience. Is everyone seen here? Yes, Samuel stepped in and you know hacked Agag to pieces, amen. But, but that bloodline of Amalek was still alive. And because of that, that bloodline was seeking to do what? To end the bloodline of the people of God, of, the, of God, basically, of the seed of God upon the earth. Is everyone listening? Now, the next time that we see, hallelujah, Agag show up, amen, is when the book of the wars of God opens up again, amen? And it's not in the context you're thinking of, amen? The context here is in the context of a beauty pageant, amen? Basically, like Auntie said, amen? The context of the book of Esther, hallelujah. Let me, let's jump real quick to Esther chapter three, amen? The Bible says here, after these things, which things? If you read the prior chapter, this is after Vashti was kicked out and Esther became queen of Persia, amen? After she became queen of Persia, Ahasuerus promoted Haman to some of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Can everyone see this? That concubine that was pregnant with Agag's child, she ran away, amen, with a ticking time bomb, amen? And later on, that time bomb grew and developed. And eventually, after several years, after Israel became a nation, after King David's reign, after several kings, after the exile to Babylon, after Babylon as an empire collapsed, that's Agagite seed, amen? It's still the same genealogy that was there from when Israel came out of Egypt. It wants to kill them before they can respond. So as soon as Esther rises up to authority, what happens? So does who? The son of Agag. Is everyone listening? Now, why is Esther important to this story? Amen. Because of what we see in Esther chapter 2. Hallelujah. I'm going to jump real quick to Esther chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse... Five, hallelujah. Okay, no worries, my yes, 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 yes. I think I see, I see to Philcat to do the same thing as well. Blessings, Godspeed. Now, in the palace of Shushan, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Hallelujah. And you know who Mordecai is, right? Mordecai, beloved, amen. Mordecai was the uncle of Esther. In other words, Esther and Mordecai share the same bloodline. So here you have the son of Kish, amen, instructed to kill or destroy the Amalekite bloodline, and he failed. The opportunity, amen, for the fulfillment of that which is written in the scripture of truth, the book of the wars of God opens up again. And what happens? The son of Kish, Mordecai, and the daughter of Kish, Esther, as they are promoted, amen, in Persia, so is the son of Agag, the Amalekite. Has everyone seen the picture here? I'm trying to show you the reason why the narrative of the sons of Cain and the sons of Seth, amen, or Cain and Abel, amen, or, 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 or um, um, the, the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, amen, is not a unique thing. 
It is a it is actually a narrative that it that runs all throughout the Bible. Amen. So when you read the scriptures, you can see the reason why there was this obsession, amen, that Haman had with killing off Mordecai. And you can also see this hatred in the heart of Mordecai for Haman's um, 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 exaltation. You know where all these things are coming from? They're bloodlines. Why is it that when someone is acting like a stubborn person, you now want to blot out the entire bloodline? Why is it that Haman's um, conclusion, Kai, this Mordecai guy doesn't bow down to me. All the other Jews are bowing down to me, but not Mordecai the prophet. Every Jew should die. That, is, that, that verdict, that conclusion, that conviction did not come from, um, from um, Haman. Amen. That conviction came from Agag. That conviction came from the Amalekite king that's waged warfare. Is everyone listening? Against the children of Israel when they came out from Egypt. Beloved, I'm trying to show us here the book of the wars of God. How you would see entire bloodlines, amen, are mobilized across several generations, amen, to wage the same warfare. Is everyone seeing this? And what is this warfare? For the propagation of that which is written in the book of life. Hallelujah. Or for the agenda of Satan. For this world's wine, amen, to be spilled out over the world. It is for this reason that these books are meant to be opened. Amen. Now, in our lives, beloved, amen, whenever books are unsealed, amen, wherever books are opened, there is a context. Hallelujah. Do you know that the Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of the Open Book? In Jewish culture, amen, another word for the Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of the Open Book. And that's where we're going to end up in today's session. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope you're seeing the picture here, amen, of this warfare running across several generations, just like how the Feast of the Lord have been going on for several generations, just like how the tabernacle of God has been what? Being constructed over several generations. Beloved, there is a warfare that has been going on for millennia. Amen. And it has been continuing since the very beginning, since the very Garden of Eden. Amen. When God said something, the seed of the woman will do what would bruise your head amen and you will bruise his heel now this warfare continues all the way to the book of revelations where there is a woman that is pregnant with a young young boy that will rule all nations with a rod of iron hallelujah let me tell you something this culmination of generation that we've been talking about amen this building of the tabernacle these wars of the lord these are themes that run across the entire bible you're going to have difficulty checking any page of the Bible and you won't see bloodline heritage. You will see spiritual heritage. You will see prophetic heritage. You will see priestly heritage. Beloved, this thing runs across the, the length and breadth of the entire Bible. What's happening? The book of the wars of God, the book of life, beloved, amen, is all about the propagation of the genealogy of God. If you are God's offspring, this is where your name is written. Is everyone listening? And what does that mean? That means you are part of the ongoing wars of God. Amen. The warfare that has been fought by your ancestors. You are meant to take on their mantle and do what? Wage warfare. Just like Agag did. Just like Mordecai did. And just like Esther did. What was Mordecai's prophetic declaration to Esther? We'll use that to end today. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Esther 
chapter 4, from verse 14, a beautiful and very popular portion of scripture. Amen. Look at what Mordecai tells Esther. If you altogether hold your peace at this time, there shall arise respite and deliverance of the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What's a beautiful prophet? He knows what's happening, right? Mordecai knew what was happening. He knew that this was the redemption of his bloodline. And he was trying to convince his niece, actually his cousin, all right? Now, can't you tell that all these things are happening for a cause? There is a reason why this thing is at play. The book of the wars of God are open. Beloved, I dare tell you even right now, amen, in this generation, the book of the wars of God are open. Do you know that you were born for such a time as this? Hallelujah. I hope this is awakening us even more to our spiritual heritage, to our spiritual ancestry. I hope we're seeing more of the significance of these things that have been going on for several millennia, that we are not fighting in isolation, that we're not becoming like Jesus Christ in isolation. No, there's this grand scheme, this beautiful tapestry that's been woven from the very beginning of time and it's meant to culminate in this generation. Who knows whether you were born for such a time as this. Hallelujah. I want to thank you all so much for joining us. This is Word for Now. Hallelujah. My name is Francis Zebra Jr. Pastor Francis sends his love and his greetings. Thank you so much for joining us, beloved. Apologies for taking a little bit longer than we normally do. I want to remind us um, that tomorrow we have the Melchizedek School of Priesthood. Amen. That starts at 4 p.m. You're more than welcome to join us. Hallelujah. But um, right after Melchizedek Priesthood, we have our prayer stretch. Yay. And this continues um, into the rest of the night. Where we'll be praying for our immersion teen and youth conference. Oh, blessings. Blessings, Auntie Katie. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart if y'all. Thank you so much. Amen. And um, during that time, we'll be praying for the immersion and travailing. Please, if you have not registered, please do. Um, we need your details um, so that when you come in, you will not be, you be basically validated as a certified camper. Hallelujah. Um, I think that's about it. We have prayers in the morning. Amen. We have morning prayers. Hallelujah. The morning watch. And right after that, we pray for Nigeria. Thank you so much for joining us, beloved. I really hope you were blessed by today's message. Jesus loves you. Have a great night in Jesus' dreams. Bye-bye. <laughs>